Welcome to the Crossview Church Message of the Week. We hope you enjoy the message this morning. For more information, visit us at mycrossview.com. Uh, well, I am excited for uh, an opportunity here to uh, spend another week in our series on uh, David, on the person of David in the Bible. And today, I'm really excited because I, we, we, we enter into the story of David uh, in one of the most, I think, important moments of his life. In fact, I think as we've been going through the story of David, this might be kind of, in many ways, the moment we've all been waiting for. Uh, obviously, even on the screen, we call him King David, but we have been looking at his life before uh, he's become king. And so today, we're going to start by looking at uh, the very moment that he becomes king over all Israel. So we're going to kind of go back and forth between 2 Samuel and then the end of 1 Samuel. We'll see why in a moment. And I just want to encourage you to go read these yourself. There's so much to the life of David, we can't get to everything. So, for example, when we get to this moment when David is crowned king, uh, there's a whole bunch of story ahead of that, because this moment we're going to look at is when he's crowned king of all of Israel. There's a period of time when David becomes first the king of one tribe of the 12 tribes of Israel. So we're not really going to talk about that part. We're going to kind of fast forward and talk about this moment when he becomes the king of all of Israel. So 2 Samuel uh, chapter 5, verses 1 through 3 is where we're starting, and it reads like this. Then all the tribes of Israel went to David at Hebron and told him, We are your own flesh and blood. In the past, when Saul was our king, you were the only one who really led the forces of Israel. And the Lord told you, You will be the shepherd of my people Israel. You will be Israel's leader. So there at Hebron, King David made a covenant before the Lord and all the elders of Israel, and they anointed him king of Israel, king of it all. Wow, this is a really cool moment that we were coming to. This is like a moment that's been building in the story of David for a long, long time. And I want to say we've just kind of scratched the surface on David's life before he becomes king. But David has had to face a lot to get to this moment, right? We even think about the last couple of weeks that we've, we've journeyed with David. He's gone through a lot. And I think part of the reason that he's gone through a lot, that there is a reason that he's gone through a lot to get to this moment. Uh, you may remember that last week we said one of the great things about the larger story of David is that it demonstrates how God shapes someone or those who are responsive to his love. And kind of hold, held open this question, how is it that I'm being shaped by God? Uh, and what am I doing in my life to allow that shaping to happen? And we're holding these questions open. But this is one of the most significant things I think about the story of David is he's very relatable. We also get to see that he is shaped by God. Uh, and those are, that's a really significant part of who he is. We, like David, need some shaping. Amen? <laughs> we, in our own journey, whether in life, but our journey with faith with God, you and I need constant, consistent shaping by God in our journey so we can become who God has designed us to be. And so I think that's one of the significant parts of the story is we can see that that actually happens and we can be encouraged by that. In fact, that's what I hope we kind of walk away with today in a lot of respects is to be encouraged by all that David has gone, gone through uh, as we go through our own process and journey with the Lord. Uh, see, I think we can actually see in David's life quite a bit of change. 
as he goes from a young person trusting in God. Remember week one, he was with Goliath and he had this incredible faithful perspective. He trusted in the Lord and he was able to defeat Goliath. So he goes from a young person trusting in God to a bit older and he takes matters into his own hands. These last couple of weeks, David has made terrible decisions (laughs) and uh, it's not been super fun to watch, but God's been faithful in in all of those decisions, uh, those poor decisions that he's made. And then he moves now We observe him at this moment of his coronation. And I think what we see is a person who in many ways, through God's shaping, through all of of his experiences, good and bad, he's become someone again who, at least right now in his story, is trusting in God and dependent on God in a pretty consistent way. And if you know the story of David, we know that there are more bad decisions to come But God is incredibly faithful, and we see a shaping and a change in David, and that's what I want to highlight today. We're going to look at two stories uh, that happened just before David's coronation uh, and observe a new David compared to the, the last two weeks that we've looked at. This is a David who's making decisions based on faith and trusting in God. He's not making decisions based out of anger or fear, or, or reactions to being insulted. If you remember last week, we looked at the story where he goes uh, in this, kind of this border region. He meets this guy named Nabal who insults him. And remember what David does is he, he calls all of his men. He says, get your swords. We're going to go take care of everybody, right? And then he said, a curse be on me if by tomorrow morning anyone is left alive for Nabal, his family, and his friends. I mean, David was getting all, Pastor Holly and I were talking about this this last week. David was getting all murdery right? Not good. Uh, Needed to trust in the Lord, but he tried to do it on his own. This change, I think, is actually pretty incredible. So we're going to look at these stories, and I want you to ask this question as we walk through this. Who is, who or what is Lord of my life? And uh, how does uh, that affect my perspective, how I see things, And how does that affect my decisions, how I act? I want us to move as we think about the change we see in David. I want us to think about how it changes how he sees things and the decisions he makes, like his lived out faith. We also, as followers of Jesus, want to move from, oh, that's a good idea, (laughs) to something that actually works out practically in my life. So, you know, as as an example, like it's a good idea to... Guard your tongue, right? We, the New Testament talks about that a lot. We want to move from us agreeing with that's a good idea to actually taking the action to guard our tongue and not speak, you know, harshly to people around us, right? So there's a, there's a step there, and I think we see that in David's life, and we can be encouraged by that. In fact, one commentator I read this week wrote this about the coronation of David here in 2 Samuel chapter 5. He says this, The change at this point in David's life was radical, Suddenly, he was the central figure of his nation. All his life, he had been marginal, and now he was central. For years, he he had been living furtively and defensively, and now he was in a position to live royally and commandingly. That's a huge change. Would this change David too? Is that a great question? Would he change into being a Middle Eastern despot, he writes, or would he grow more faithful toward God? I love that question, and it's, it's been fun to look at David's life. 
and to ask this question and look and track this kind of change that happens in a relationship, an ongoing relationship with God. And like I mentioned before, I actually do think we see a lot of change in David, a lot of growth at this point, that he was learning to more uh, deeply trust in, in God. So we're going to look at a few stories where we can track this change and be encouraged by it. Uh, we're going to look at two uh, very similar stories right at the end of 1 Samuel. 1 Samuel 24 is where we're going to start. You may know these stories. These are more, more well-known, popular stories of, of King David. But David had the opportunity to kill King Saul two different times. This is an incre- these are incredible stories. We're going to see what David does here. So in 1 Samuel 24, the the previous king, the king before David, you know, David at this point when he was young was, uh, had been anointed to be the next king. And there's lots of things that we talked about, lots of things that happened in this relationship between David and King Saul. King Saul received a report that they know, that they kind of knew where David was. Remember, Saul's kind of on the rampage here and he wants to kill David, to finally take him out. So King Saul, after hearing this report about David's locations, it says that he gathered 3,000 soldiers. Now that's, I mean, think about that. Like, Saul is like determined. He's like, we're, we're finally going to take care of this. 3,000 people. We need 3,000 people. That's an army, right? To take out David. This is crazy. He's going extreme, but he wants to get it done. So uh, Saul sets out with 3,000 soldiers. And as they journey on, the journey's a bit long. And so they, as they were traveling, Saul and his soldiers stopped at a cave. And this is kind of fun, uh, maybe kind of. I love how real scripture gets sometimes, but at this cave, uh, they, scripture actually says they stopped here at this cave because Saul needed to use the restroom. So they stopped at this cave for Saul to use the restroom. And this is where it gets funny and even a little bit ridiculous. As David and his men were fleeing Saul, they... They chose to hide in this very cave where Saul uh, stops to use the restroom. So David, if you can just picture it, David and his soldiers, we don't know how many of them, but we know he had up to about 600. They're in the back of this cave and they're hiding. And along comes Saul. Maybe they hear the 3,000 soldiers marching up and they hear him stop outside of the cave. Maybe they're wondering, oh, have, have they found us? And then King Saul walks to the very edge of the cave and starts to use the restroom. And I wonder what this is like for David and his men. If they're like, they're, they're trying to be quiet. Obviously, in just a moment, you'll hear that they're whispering back and forth to each other. And so I wonder what this is like, especially as they realize who it is that's walking to the edge of the cave and that he's in a very vulnerable position. What an opportunity, right? Not only is it a, a significant opportunity, but David's men begin to speak to him. So he's got this opportunity and he's being influenced in a particular direction uh, by his men. In 1 Samuel 24, 4 through 7, it says this. Now's your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Remember, they're trying to be quiet. They don't want to get caught. Today, the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. So David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. I love that. It's like, how, Saul, man, how did you like not notice that someone was cutting off some of your coat? It's just like it's always been weird to me, but he didn't notice. So David crept forward, cut off a piece of his, his coat, his robe, and then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. Whoa. And then he says this. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the king. 
I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. Whoa, this is crazy. Have you ever been in a, in a moment where you're taking an action? You're about, I mean, he's cutting the robe, right? He's thinking, his, his men have said, you could kill him and everything in your life can be different. And he stays his blade. How difficult is it to do that in that moment, right? So tough. What are you doing, David? This is crazy. You could have easily crept up on King Saul. You could have killed him and then walked out of that cave victorious, knowing that everyone in Saul's army would concede eventually and likely acknowledge him or declare him as king, if not right there in the very near future. David could literally have taken into his own hands accomplishing everything that had been promised to him. What an opportunity, right? How many of us would not take that opportunity? But what does David do? He says, no, I'm not going to do it my way. I'm going to do it the Lord's way. In fact, I'm not going to do it at all. Whoa. (laughs) How different is this to the last few stories that we've looked at where David says, no, I will not take matters into my own hands. I'm going to leave it up to God. This is incredible. This is a moment of surrender to the will and the way of God, a significant act of dependence and trust on God. Can you think of a time in your life where that's happened to you? Where you had an opportunity to maybe do something completely on your own or take take an opportunity to, to take something into your own hands. And then you stop. You say, no, I have to trust the Lord in this moment. I don't know if David was thinking this, God, I don't know if Saul will keep coming after me. I don't know what will happen with the anointing that you have on me to be the next king. I could have an effect on both of these outcomes with a single stroke of my sword, but I'm going to let you take care of all of it. And he crawls back into the cave. (laughs) Just imagine. Eugene Peterson writes this about this moment, that we're getting a feel for the kind of narrative written here, an immersion in the human condition with all its glory and hurt, promise and difficulty. But we're never left with just mere humanity or mere history. The skill of this story keeps us alert to the presence and purposes of God being worked out in this story. We're being trained to to read between the lines, he he writes, for much of this story is implicit. But it's unmistakably there that David isn't David apart from God. (laughs) And none of us is either. Most of what we're reading about in David is God in David. Isn't that powerful? And I love it because this is a moment, I think, where we're seeing a different David. One who's recognizing, I'm not who I'm supposed to be if I try to do it on my own. Thanks, God, I got it from here. That's not how we were created to be, right? We are created to be defined by God, led by God, trusting in God. That's who we're supposed to be. And sometimes that's so hard to do, right? (laughs) And here it is in this moment where David could have so easily taken a hold of everything that he wanted. Incredible. Have you ever thought of your life like that? that you are not really you apart from God, that you are apart from God, uh, you are not you apart from 
the way that God created you to be, the reason why he created you, and the purpose that he has for you, because God has a purpose for each of us. (laughs) And we're not really who we are unless we're living into that. You are not you without God in your story or without you in God's story. Wow. This is powerful stuff. We're seeing such an incredible moment here. The impulsive, anger-driven, give me the holy bread, I'm out of here, David, is gone. (laughs) If you remember that from a couple weeks ago, right? And we get a David who is more sensitive to the spirit, submissive to the will and the way of God. David has grown in his ability to move in the direction of God's spirit and to trust in God's plan in a very significant way. So it begs the question, what does that look like in your life? In what ways are you trusting God both here and now and for your future? In what ways are you patterning and and creating things in your life that will help you learn his voice and walk more closely in step with his spirit and his plan for you? Even if it's moments where you're like, I could do this all on my own, or at least it seems like that, right? How are you uh, growing, growing deeper in your ability to walk with God today? Not just thinking like that's a good idea for tomorrow, but today. (laughs) So after Saul leaves the cave, he gets on his donkey, and he's about to continue the search for David, and I love it. David walks out to the mouth of the cave, and he says this. Then he shouted to Saul, Why do you listen to people who say I am trying to harm you? Uh, This very day you can see with your own eyes it isn't true, for the Lord placed you at my mercy back there in the cave. Some of the men told me I should kill you, but I spared you, for I said I will never harm the king, the Lord's anointed one. And then David shows Saul some of the coat that he cut off. He says, see, I just wanted to prove it. (laughs) Incredible difference in the person of David that we're seeing. And that's story number one. Story number two is very similar, and it happens just a few chapters later. Not too long after story number one, uh, uh, there's another King Saul hears again, gets another report that they think they know where David is. So this time, King Saul gathers 3,000 soldiers, but they... The scripture, it's different this time. He gathers 3,000 elite soldiers. So he's really serious. This is over today. So he gathers these 3,000 soldiers. And as they're traveling to where they think David is, they camped one night along the road uh, up against a hill. And again, in what's a crazy circumstance here, David and his men are hiding just on the other side of that hill. They hear all this commotion. So that night when Saul and his army and his soldiers are asleep, David and one of his soldiers end up sneaking into Saul's camp. Saul and his main general are sleeping on the ground. There's a spear next to them and a jug of water. Uh, And so David and his soldiers, as they sneak in uh, to this, they find Saul and his general sleeping there, uh, 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 encircled by other soldiers, all of whom, Scripture says, are sleeping. And so in 1 Samuel 26, 8 through 10, David, the person who's tra- the soldier with sneaking with David into the camp, says, "God has surely handed your enemy over to you this time." Whis- he whispered to David, "Let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of the spear. I won't need to strike twice." Yikes! This guy's like, "Okay, we're done. This is it. Let's do this." No, David says, "Don't kill him, for who can remain innocent after attacking the Lord's anointed one?" Just significant perspective here. Surely the Lord says strike Saul down surely the Lord will strike Saul down someday 
or he will die of old age or in battle. Wow. I mean, how many times do you get an opportunity to be right next to the king and just be done with it, right? And again, David, faithful for the will of God and the way of God, says, no, we're not going to do it this way. Amazing. And so David and this soldier, they take the spear, they take the water, and they head up to the top of the hill. And I love it. Maybe, maybe David just likes to shout after he, these moments, but he essentially yells uh, to the soldier that's sleeping, the general that's sleeping right next to Saul, and he yells, wake up! <laughs> Do you see? We were here. Wake up! And as he's, as he's yelling to the commander, um, and Scripture says that Saul recognized David's voice and knew that it was David. And then there's this powerful moment, I think, between David and Saul, and maybe Saul and the Lord, uh, because it says that David begins to explain, again, how he valued the king's life. He could have killed him, and he didn't do that. Uh, and then he asks Saul once more, why are you so intent on pursuing me? David essentially says to Saul, uh, asks him to think about what he's doing and, and asks him, is this something that the Lord is wanting you to do, or is this just a human scheme? Something about what David said got to Saul that day. Because then it says, uh, just a few verses later, Then Saul confessed, I have sinned. Come back home, my son, and I will no longer try to harm you. For you valued my life today. I have been a fool and very, very wrong. This is an incredible moment. Here is your spear, O king, David replied. Let one of your younger men come in, over and get it. The Lord gives his own reward for doing good and for being loyal. And I refuse to kill you. Even when the Lord had placed you in my power, uh, for you are the Lord's anointed one. Now, may the Lord value my life as I have valued yours today, and may he rescue me from all my troubles. Incredible. Another moment in the life of David where he is choosing not to take things in his own hands, but to trust the Lord, and whatever the Lord has ahead of him. He doesn't know, but he's trusting the Lord. Isn't this incredible? And encouraging to us that we can do the same thing. And the Lord will continue to be faithful. Uh, we don't have to act out of fear or, uh, or insult like David did. Or isolation like we've talked about these last couple of weeks. David decides to trust God rather than take things into his own, own hands. Now I want to skip a lot of the story here to get to where we started today. Uh, so I want to, again, encourage you to go read the rest of this. But as we move forward in the story, eventually King Saul and his son Jonathan, who we know is David's best friend, they're killed by the Philistines in battle, just like David had said here. Uh, they're killed. So the man that stood in the way of David becoming king is gone. And the interesting thing is, and I love this, that Scripture tells us that David mourned for Saul and for Jonathan, two people who were significant in his life and that he loved even though he had this conflict with Saul. David has gone through quite a journey, hasn't he? David first came to our notice as the youngest of Jesse's eight sons. He was pulled out of the hills of Bethlehem and anointed as the future king of God's people. In his adolescence, we saw him uh, fight and defeat Goliath in battle. He became a famous soldier and a general. For about eight years, he was a fugitive in the wilderness, hiding from the jealousy of Saul. For the last several years of his time in the wilderness, he was the leader of a, of a guerrilla band of about 600 soldiers trying to survive. And after Saul's death, he spent seven and a half years as the king of only one tribe of Judah, 
or one tribe of, of, the, of Israel, the tribe of Judah, before we get to the point that we started this morning, where all of Israel gets to declare him as king. What an incredible journey that we've seen him on so far. We're only really halfway through with the story, right? In terms of what the Bible says about David. All of this is happening and David is about 35 to 37 years old when he's appointed king of all of Israel. Isn't that incredible? What a journey for someone who's so young. David shows us something so important in the last years of his time in the wilderness and these encounters with Saul, and this is the encouragement for us. Everybody understood that David was destined to be king. Why didn't he just take matters into his own hands? Why didn't he just kill Saul when he had those opportunities? Because as we read the story of David, we witness the power of transformation in David's life because of his faith. And we can have that same kind of transformation in our faith as our faith grows. His faith uh, changes the way he saw the world and it, changes, it influenced the actions that he took. We, we see in David what happens when you give everything to the Lord, all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, all of your actions. Eugene Peterson wrote it like this. The, the David story is a major means for providing us a narrative context for understanding our lives in all their complexities as God shaped. I love, I love this idea of being shaped by God through our ups and downs and our journeys. It's a story that comes into its final form in Jesus Christ, who is a son of David. One of the things we realize, he writes, is that the Christian life grows from a seed that's planted deep in the actual soil of our lives, the muscles and brain cells, our emotions and our moods, our work schedules, the weather, and even our family history. I love Eugene Peterson and how he like really grounds things. Isn't it great? The idea that a, the, 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 a seed of faith can be planted and it doesn't stay small. <laughs> if we attend to it, if we water it, if we continue to trust the Lord and be faithful, what can happen is that seed of faith, you know, Jesus talks about like even a faith as small as a mustard seed can have a major difference. You know how big a mustard seed can grow when it's fully grown, like 20 or 30 feet wide and tall and roots down deep? I mean, it can get huge. So the idea that we can grow and change and transform and our faith can grow and change and transform and we can move from like what David was doing when he was younger. He trusted the Lord initially and then he went all, made terrible decisions, right? But his faith as he attended it grew stronger in his heart and his mind and began to change how he saw the world and how he acted, how he spoke to people, the attitudes that he had, the, the decisions that he made. The way that you work at your job, <laughs> the way you even see the possibility of what could happen in the world. I was just saying at the, in the first service, one of the things that you know, we see all around, I, I look at our neighborhood and I see so many people who I want, to know, I want them to know the love and the freedom that we experience in God. You look around the world and you're like, oh man, there's so many people that need to know this of, about God and what, what we're created to be in relationship with, with God, and it can feel so hopeless, right? <laughs> but that's where your, your faith makes a difference, because even though it may seem hopeless, it is not hopeless, amen? Because we serve a powerful, living, and active God, and so my faith is going to shape how I see the world, and it's going to shape how I act. It's going to shape the things I say. It's going to shape the way I approach this life, 
And through the power of God, we, God, it's like, will you grow in my heart? And will you grow in my mind? And will you go out through my life? <laughs> I want that for us, amen, as individuals, but us as a church. And I am so excited for, I just love the idea that we can see this kind of growth and maturity in someone like David, who is so relatable to us. Who We, we know even after this moment of, of high faith, He's got some some more decisions that are going to challenge that. But God is always faithful. Amen? It's impossible to understand David apart from God. And I love that. God isn't a doctrine that David talks about, but a person who's with him day by day and someone he submits to and is guided by and loves deeply. God can be that for us as well as our faith continues to grow and change. Worship team, would you come on back up? Uh, James, in uh, the brother of Jesus, uh, James, the book of James, if you read it, man, James is pretty direct sometimes and kind of hard uh, calling people out. But he has these moments of real uh, gentle encouragement as well. And one of those comes in James chapter 4, verse 8, where he says, come close to God and God will come close to you. And I love that. As we take steps closer to God, we experience his goodness, his grace, his glory in our lives in new, amazing ways. It's something we see from David, and it's something that we can aspire to as well. We can grow. We can change. Holiness and love can grow in our life through the work of God, and as we surrender and submit to the way of God and the will of God, just like David did. Let's pray.